I had done some consulting and done some individual work, but I missed having a team. I really enjoyed building a team, leading a team, drawing out the talents of the team. I think that's the most fun part. I think witnessing how these disparate people from different backgrounds and different skill sets can come together and deliver. The biggest lesson for me is how important that was. Early in your career, you're motivated by your boss, you're motivated by the problem, but really it's in those later years when you're building teams, you're motivated by the team. You don't want to let them down. Like I didn't want to let my bosses down early on. You want to be there for them. You want to see them grow. And I love really honest people, direct people. I've I value that greatly. And so I appreciate hardworking people who really care about each other and are super honest. In a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work, the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other. Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt size company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun at all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. This is part two of Jeff's interview with Steve McLean. You will want to listen to part one, but for now, let's listen as Steve continues his story with his life after working at American Century Investments. Yeah, so uh, you worked there about uh, 12 years, and um, what made you leave? You know, I had been, uh, I I was leading the retail division, and I'd been in the role uh, six years. I had originally said I would stay there five, uh, thinking, okay, five is probably the max and both what I could learn and what I could do for the organization. I probably stayed a little bit longer than I should have, but I had kind of tapped out my, my learning and my contribution, in my opinion. I felt like um, it was time for me to do something different. I took a break for a year, tried to figure out what, what, what was I going to do? Um, certainly, realized in that time that I had way too much energy uh, to just kick back. And I felt like I want to do something completely different. And uh, all of the same kinds of experience of working with smart people, trying to solve big problems, trying to transform organizations into something that will be impactful and uh, bring purpose uh, to what the work is. And uh, that's, that's where I went to a completely different route uh, in the nonprofit world. So, but you basically just quit with no plan. I did. I did. I was kind of done. Um, I felt kind of tapped out. There wasn't too many new things to do. Um, I, you know, I'd kind of risen to a point where I wasn't going to be anything else inside the organization, but what I was, because I felt like I was good at that. But, uh, you know, looking around, there weren't opportunities necessarily to do other things. So I felt like it was my time to go and let somebody else lead. Uh, I had a great team behind me and um, really talented individuals that, that could take it from there. Was it a case of burnout? I think it was to a degree. I think, um, having seen a lot in that time period, um, and it was a, it was a pretty mature business. So transformation could be done to a certain degree, but, um, 
there were so many realities that retail side of that business, uh, including that you had a lot of older customers. Um, those, those older customers were reaching the retirement age and they'd have to start to withdraw um, and pull out and, uh, you know, use their cash, their savings that they accumulated with the help of American Century. And that was kind of an inevitable part, but also the, the organization was going much more institutional as opposed to retail. Uh, retail was still a vitally important part of the organization, but it was also very emphasized. It, they were emphasizing the institutional side with its product set, with its sales organization. And that's a very different kind of market. So you, you quit, you basically take a year sabbatical before you even do anything, um, mm-hmm. you know, professionally or trying to search for the next opportunity. Besides um, knowing that you had a lot more to give uh, mm-hmm. professionally and you weren't ready to, you know, kind of pack it in. What did that year teach you as well as uh, I think you looked at a couple of different opportunities before you landed at Unbound, the, the not-for-profit you're uh, at today. What did you learn about yourself? Well, I think I, uh, one of the biggest realizations I had done some consulting and done some individual work, um, but I missed having a team. I really enjoyed building a team, leading a team, drawing out the talents of the team. I think that's the most fun part. I really do. I think witnessing how these disparate people from different backgrounds and different skill sets can come together and deliver. That's especially in the latter half of my career, the biggest lesson for me is how important that was in the experience. You know, early in your career, you're motivated by your boss, you're motivated by the problem, you're motivated by, but really it's in those later years when you're building teams, you're motivated by the team. You don't want to let them down. Like I didn't want to let my bosses down early on. You want to be there for them. You want to see them grow and you love to challenge them. And they, you know, they challenge you back. I love really honest people, direct people. I've learned that in Boston, you know, I value that greatly. And so I appreciate hardworking people who really care about each other and uh, are super honest. I think those are the trademarks of the teams I like to be a part of. Yeah. So you spend 30 plus years, I'll say in corporate America. Now you go to Unbound, a global not-for-profit headquartered here in Kansas City. I think it's the second or third largest not-for-profit based in Kansas City. Uh, what drove you to go to a not-for-profit? Yeah, you know, I resisted it. I was not, I was kind of lukewarm on the idea, largely because um, it starts with, you know, asking people for money. And I hate that. I have been involved in fundraisers. I've been involved in nonprofits and we're even board roles where you have to have a give and get kind of responsibility. But um, I, I'm more than happy to participate and support, but I really don't like someone else having to ask someone else for money. So, but what attracted me to Unbound was not only the great work that they did, but they have an incredible approach. Um, their approach is so unique in that um, they're obviously working in 18 different countries. Their whole focus and, and mission is oriented toward uh, helping families walk the path out of poverty. And their approach is distinct from a lot of organizations in that they listen to the families. What is it they want to do? What are their goals? Um, and how can we help you get there? Uh, as opposed to, you know, we have this thing we're really good at and you should do this with 
our recommendations. And a lot of that came from um, the founders. The founders believe fundamentally that the poor are, you know, a group of people that are just like us and they're struggling, um, but they're smart, they're resilient, they're full of hope. And uh, if you could just listen to them, they have the answers. They just may not have the resources. So the difference, I think, in Unbound is it kind of all starts and ends with those families and what is it they need. And, you know, part of me as a marketer, that appealed to me because they were listening to who it is that they're trying to serve. And we don't do traditional fundraisers, no golf tournaments, no auctions. We just ask people to walk alongside these families and with that contribute, you know, a financial uh, amount each month. And that consistency of that giving doesn't cause us to waste our time re-asking every year. Um, And it helps us be persistent with the families so that that walk can last 10 years. Um, And our sponsors are so generous to step up and say, I believe in this child. I believe in this elder. I'll get behind him and, and walk alongside him. And uh, it opens up so much possibilities. Um, a lot of people don't know, but there's, uh, there's about $140 million a year that is contributed by donors and sponsors of Unbound to these families. And Unbound takes that really seriously. And they uh, spend a lot of time thinking about where to invest those dollars and how we can do it in the most effective manner. I leaned on you to uh, help me make a decision. Uh, I think you were about two years into Unbound and I was deciding whether to go to my first not-for-profit, United Way of Greater Kansas City. Uh, So tell me, you know, tell uh, the listeners out there, what, you know, what are the differences in, you know, again, in the culture of a for-profit company and not-for-profit and mission and, and, yeah. and, and, the, and the people talent. Yeah, it's interesting because I get this question a lot. And I, I think there's a great deal on the business side and the nonprofit side that both kind of have suspicions of the others' um, cultures. And, uh, you know, in the, in the nonprofit world, you hear, oh, you're corporate or you're, you're this. And then in the nonprofit world's reputation inside corporate, oh, you're going to ask for money or, you know, they're going to be bleeding hearts, whatever it might be. Um, I think in the end, there's a lot more common than not. Um, there's great leaders in both. There's smart people in both. Um, people care deeply and they want to make an impact individually. Um, there's a diversity of talent and perspectives, but I think um, the distinctions I think are business is all about excellence, right? Pursuing excellence, constantly improving, um, and never good enough. Whether it's you know improving a product or um, gaining more customers, um, you know building its reputation. Uh, I think in the nonprofit world there can be a, a darker side of doing good. I think sometimes um, people equate doing good as being good. And I think, you know, nonprofits can get more excellent. It's not just um, the fact that you're doing good work in the world. Um, You can still be pursuing excellence. Um, And I think counter to the business culture, I think, Jeff, you have learned as I have through the years that um, being vulnerable and isn't something that you really perfect in the business world. You got to, you got to keep your guard up. You got to have your mask on. You got to put on the good impression and you're always on. Right. Um, 
I think the beauty of a nonprofit world is, um, at least in the culture at Unbound, is you be yourself. I mean, you can just show up and know that there's someone who might be different from you, but they bring something special and as do you. So I think that's a really great um, difference between the two cultures. I think the other thing that, you know, in the business world, you're accountable, you have a responsibility. Decisions are made from a very rational orientation. Many times uh, it's very action oriented culture. I think uh, in the nonprofit, at least at Unbound, we're asked to feel the decision a lot more. Um, think about the downstream impacts of that decision, not just the immediate benefit, but what's the impact on the people? And, and at Unbound in particular, it's like, what's the impact on the families? Uh, because we really view the families in the countries we work in and, and those that we walk with, they're the owners of Unbound. Not, we don't have shareholders, we don't have stockholders, we don't have executives. Uh, they are really the owners of Unbound. Yeah, it's interesting because you talked about the culture at American Century, uh, culture of caring about the clients, which is, seems very similar to what you you know you uh, are doing at Unbound. They care about the families and listening, right? Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. you know what I hear when you're talking about Unbound, and it's it's a very big, and it always has been in leadership, but now it's getting the attention. But it, having the empathy. Uh, yes. empathy for your employees, your team members, your customers, or, you know, in your case, the, the families. Um, so yeah, that's, that's amazing. So you walk in after, you know, 30 years in a, in corporate culture, what was the biggest surprise walking into Unbound on, you know, your first 90 days? Yeah, I, I was expecting that, you know, bubble gum and band-aids holding things together. And in, in many cases, infrastructure wise, they were in really good shape. They, you know, you'll appreciate that this one single system uh, that I'll continue to applaud the team who had the vision to do it. Um, you know, as we know from our past lives, sometimes organizations that are built up over the years have thousands of different databases and, you know, data is everywhere. Well, fortunately at Unbound, it's all in one system. Um, and I was marveling at that that someone had the vision and the wisdom to build that. And of course now technology continues to change so rapidly, we can't even begin to keep up with all the possibilities there. So we're having to enhance that. Um, but I was surprised at the sophistication um, and the forethought of the founders and what they built, um, knowing sustainability of the mission and the family's work being at the core. Um, it wasn't just doing good. It was like doing it smart. And uh, I, of course, felt like I could contribute and help. Um, but there were areas that unexpectedly I had to do more work in and less work in other areas. Yeah, very interesting because my first job at Sprint was to do an inventory of all the systems Mm. And it was crazy because you had GTE was yes. a you know a partner, and there was some other company on the uh, uh, a railroad company in the on the West Coast yeah. in California. Yeah, uh, Southern United, Pacific. Yeah, yes, yeah. There you go. Yeah. United, United Telecom. 
I, I found system. No one had this data. I put together, yep. it was like 38 different systems. And yep. I had the list, like no one else had the list. So having you say that Unbound had this, you know, one system, you, yeah. know, you know, here you go. So, oh, Sprint versus Unbound. But really, yeah. that's, a, that's a great testament to yeah. uh, their uh, kind of futuristic uh, strategic yeah. thinking. So that that's phenomenal. Um, what's your biggest challenge right now as a leader um, at Unbound? Uh, I think, you know, part of the reason I wanted to take the job was um, I'm kind of a situational leader. I'll look around and see, you know, and it probably goes back to my family roots being six of seven. You know, if somebody's great at that. I don't need to worry about that. You know, I'll go do something else. Um, but filling gaps and understanding kind of what the opportunity is that may not be attended to. I think the challenge is um, obviously we want to get back to a point where we're growing. We've kind of flatlined growth uh, wise. And our biggest challenge is, is restarting growth. Um, we've been through the pandemic now. It, it didn't necessarily take an impact on our revenue that we were able to bring in for the families, but it took a huge impact on our ability to bring in new uh, sponsorships. So our challenge right now is almost exclusively focused on how do we find new people that will walk with these families? And it's just a great opportunity for people to participate uh, never having to leave their home, but making a difference in the world. And so um, our invitation is out there always and trying to extend it to individuals of all backgrounds. We really want people of goodwill to join us in this mission. And we really fundamentally believe that it can transform lives and their own as well. Oftentimes we hear back from sponsors who say, oh, I, I started giving years ago and I thought I was just trying to do the right thing and it ended up changing my life. And so um, it makes it fun as a marketer to figure out how do we get more invitations out to people and, and bring growth back to Unbound. I mean, what you're doing is phenomenal. Having been there to uh, several open houses and you bringing me on a tour, it's, it, it, I still have the wristband you gave me. Oh, good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's an invitation to anybody that wants to come down and, and hear the stories of the families. They're really impactful. And, uh, you know, we, we take a lot for granted in the U.S., but, you know, we have our own form of poverty, um, you know, whether it's poverty of the spirit, you know, or poverty of material wealth. I, I think uh, there's a lot that can be exchanged between someone here in the U.S. and someone uh, in the 18 different countries we work in. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Talk, talk a little bit about what you do. I, I know you open up your uh, conference rooms to have companies come in, who, uh, whether large or small, but you're doing things with the community uh, for profit companies to come in and experience. Talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that I'm most excited about is the potential. You and I both know from working in the business world, uh, the business people that we work with are really great people. I, I think nonprofits tend to think, uh, you know, they're not and they don't care. And I, I fundamentally disagree with that. And I think there's a lot of wonderful people, and particularly these younger generation. They're coming in and they're challenged their organizations to think differently about their uh, corporate responsibility. And whether it's social impact here in the U.S. or uh, eradicating poverty across the globe, there's opportunities for us to do that together. And um, one of the key things that we've been trying to do more of is outreach to the business community. We've been very active in the business chamber here in Kansas City. Uh, our own sponsors oftentimes reach out to us 
and ask us to come speak at, at their organizations. But we do try to invite people into the building because we think that's uh, one of the greatest ways to take in our culture and our mission. And uh, we created an experience space that people can actually learn our story, but learn the story of the families. Yeah, again, having experienced it firsthand, you really get a sense of what you do and you know, you have a model, uh, you know, of a, a family dwelling, which is a, yes. a hut, yeah. how they live. And it, yeah, you, you definitely feel it. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's uh, phenomenal uh, what you're doing there. So uh, thank you for that, uh, not only for what you're doing uh in Kansas City, in terms of building a great company and having great people work for you, but obviously a global impact. Yeah. So I like to help two different types of people on the podcast, uh, just with advice from great leaders like yourself. But uh, one group is a recent college graduate. So we're here in March. You're going to have a bunch of seniors graduating here in the May timeframe. Um, what advice uh, would you give them in terms of career and getting their first job? Gosh, I think uh, listening deeply to the individuals that you're speaking with. Um, I think one of my pet peeves is a lot of times people don't take notes. If, if a college grad comes in and they're not taking notes, I'm writing them off because how are they going to retain it? And I get the devices and everything else, but bring a, a portfolio and write down what people say and concentrate on what the lesson is in front of you. I really admire people who are coming prepared for that. Certainly, I know you give great counsel to these young people coming out. They're so smart, they're very talented, uh, but write them down, uh, listen. And uh, all of my lessons have come from people. And uh, I think if you're willing to be open and, and pay attention, you're gonna do really well. I think knowing the business, I, whatever it is you're doing, whether it's studying uh, a, a, an employer that you're really interested in, but know where they make their money, know where their customers are, know what they care about, truly understand what's going on in that marketplace. I think so many people can work at a company for 20 years and they really don't know how the business makes money. They don't know who their customers are, what the opportunity is, what the challenges are with competition pay close attention to that. That is just a phenomenal lesson. Many of the secrets to problem solving are inside those, those kinds of questions. I actually have never asked a guest this question, but something you said made me think of it. So hiring is a, a skill that all great leaders have. They want to build a great, build great teams. What kind of, what is your one secret that you've learned over the years that you use to hire new, new team members? Yeah, I think I'm looking for work ethic you know, commitment to something that requires persistence and ability to adapt and pay attention. Obviously, lis listening is a, is a hot button for me. I, you know, I think there's a, a variety of jobs and roles. I'm looking for the match to that role. Like, what are the common characteristics that we need? How can it complement the team? What gaps is this individual going to fill? And the best way a job applicant can address that is know yourself. I'm amazed at how many people don't really know where they are and who they are. And certainly when you're 22, 23 years old, you, you haven't had an opportunity to find that uh, sense of self, but know where you are at the moment and uh, the right job will, will find its way your way uh, if, if you talk to enough people. 
Yeah, great advice. Uh, I'm actually teaching at KU Business School right now this semester, and you're 100% spot on. <laughs> Sorry, class, for that. Yeah. But, oh, well. Um, hey, the other group I'd love to help is, you know, you're, you start your career. Most people don't out of the, you know, uh, when they walk out of the halls of their college into a, a corporate job, don't have any direct reports. So once you get direct reports and you're now a manager, what leadership advice do you have for them in terms of the, being able to hone their skills to become a great leader? Yeah, I think as a leader, know your team. I mean, you know, certainly know yourself to begin with. That's what your early years are about, learning what you're capable of, where your weak spots are, what you need strength in. But then I think the most important thing as a leader is to know your team. Take delight in who those people are as individuals and know where to plug and play the talent and the potential in them. Be willing to push them and ask hard questions. Always be willing to ask questions, whether they're hard or insightful. That oftentimes I found is the most important skill a leader has is where to place that question, when to ask it, what question, to, how to phrase it, because it can provoke thought. It can provoke reflection. It can provoke really an answer that's shallow um, or deeply thought about. And I think as a leader, you grow in confidence with your people as they answer those questions. And you know, as well as I do, you've had those leaders that it's like a cross-examination and pretty soon you realize you're going to get cross-examined. You're going to be prepared. And some of the toughest leaders I had, they would put you in, just drill you and often felt that it was unfair. And gosh, why are they so hard on me? They were the tough C professor that really wanted you to do well. And they cared deeply about you knowing your stuff. And uh, it made me better. So I want to be that for people who are on my team. Yeah, I think you, you'll remember in uh, uh, Larry Porterfield at Spurs. Oh, yeah. He was a great leader. And uh, unfortunately, he passed years ago. Uh, yeah. He was a great leader. But one, one of the things he did, which I thought at the time was crazy, but he would ask the same people, the same, uh, I'm sorry, different people, the same question, the yes. same what, different answers he would get. That's right. And I would be like, why? I'd be working on it. And then I find out somebody else. I'm like, why is he asking me to do it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but it made sense because he wanted to see who he can trust. He totally. was trying to figure it out. Yeah. I think I lost out. <laughs> day, but, um, well, you know, something I remember about Larry, I worked for Larry too. Larry was one of those short stint bosses that I had at Sprint, but I learned something from him in a very short time. And you know what he did? He took me into his office and he showed me his desk and his desk was just piled with papers and it was just completely covered. And he said, Steve, he goes, you see that desk? And I said, yeah, it kind of looks like a mess, Larry. And uh, he said, I can pull out what's most important on that desk. And I said, what do you mean? He said, all this other stuff doesn't matter, but I'm going to pick one thing and I'm going to zero in on it this week alone. And by the end of the week, I will understand that issue. I'm going to talk to everybody about that issue. And I'm going to get a frame of reference around the problem. And he said, I'm not going to let it go until I know I've understood it and I know a solution. And I bet that very much aligns with your remembrance of him that mm -hmm. he talked to everybody. Well, that was him grabbing that one hot button item yep. and taking it around. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Great leader and great person. So, yeah. Um, well, Steve, 
you're phenomenal. I'm grateful that we're <laughs> friends. And yeah, I know I give I you a well. hard time about being yeah. a great guy, but you are a phenomenal leader and a great guy. So well, thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah. The Irish and the Italians, they can come together. We're, we're, we're good today. Thank there you, you so go. much, Jeff. All right. Thanks, Steve. Have a great All day. Right. All right. Take care. Well, now that Steve's uh, not being recorded and uh, has left the podcast, I just want to go on record. I'm I'm freaking sick of everybody calling him a nice guy. Oh, Steve McLean, <laughs> such a nice guy. I mean, it's it's bullshit, Joe. It really is. I'm I'm sick of it. But uh, <laughs> but in all sincerity, uh, he's just a great leader, a great person. It, it just goes to show you how nice guys finish first, and uh, having toured Unbound several times, Yeah, uh, the not-for-profit that he's the chief marketing officer at. They're lucky to have a person of his talents. And what they do for underdeveloped countries is just phenomenal. It's, and his passion for it is just incredible. That's great. You know, I don't know him, and I didn't know him when we were at Sprint, uh, but I feel like I do now. But from listening to that interview, I think that's that's great. He mentioned it, and I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, uh, about the similarities between nonprofits and for-profit organizations. Uh, They are much more similar than most people think. I've done a lot of work for different nonprofits, some crisis pregnancy centers in Kansas City and some churches and things like that. And I was always surprised, or I was initially surprised, uh, to find out that nonprofits even have things like accounts receivable. They actually have services that they have to send out invoices for, things like that. I I just kind of thought, I guess I thought they just take the money and then do something with it. But uh, they they have receivables, they have payroll, they have HR issues, they have all all the same things that happen in for-profit. I think that's kind of interesting stuff. Yeah, and obviously the mission of each of the non-for-profits are just, they do phenomenal work. So Um, based on the episode, with Steve, Joe, what what would you like to say in terms of leadership advice to the audience? Well, today I'm going to go to that great philosopher, Ron Burgundy, who one time said, I'm going to do the thing that God put Ron Burgundy on this earth to do, have salon quality hair and read the news. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.